As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Lock up a property that you know you can't honor that purchase price, but when it's a real scenario like it was for me, that I did a little bit more inspection and realized, hey, this is going to cost more than I thought to fix, then I think it's perfectly fine to go renegotiate with that seller. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. And we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, David Lecco. How you doing, David? Good. How are you doing? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation. Me too. A little bit about David. He is the CEO of Deal Machine, an app that enables real estate investors to find off-market deals and contact any property owner via direct mail, email, and phone with a single click. In the last year, the app has been used to capture over 4 million potential deals by Driving for Dollar teams based in Indianapolis. So with that being said, you want to give everyone hanging out. And by the way, if you're listening to us on the podcast, we are filming this live in Cincinnati. If you want to come hang out with us, go to bestevermeetup.com. We meet the last Tuesday of every month. So with that being said, you want to give everyone here and the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. Sure. So who's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Awesome. That's exactly what motivated me in 2016 to actually buy a rental property. So I had always been really interested in retiring early, but I was on a career path. And then I was putting money away in the 401k type deal, but I didn't have a lot of control over that because the market would go up and so would the money and it would go down and it wouldn't. 
So I loved how the rental properties would give you predictable cash flow. So that's when I started figuring out, okay, how do I buy one? And I was looking at what was available online, on the MLS or Zillow, and really nothing had numbers that worked. So if I bought it at the price they were asking, it wasn't going to cash flow because they were charging too much. So have you guys ever encountered that? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So I had to take things into my own hand and find my own deal. And I went to a meetup just like this in Indianapolis where I live, and I heard them talk about driving for dollars. So how many of you guys have heard of driving for dollars? Cool. If you guys have heard of that, you know it's a fantastic list, and that's what I was told, and that's why I went to start driving looking for houses that looked run down so that I could contact them and then ask if they wanted to sell their property. And the idea is if their property's run down and they need to sell it, then they either need to dump a bunch of money into it and fix it themselves to sell it on the market or sell it at a discount to me. So that's what I was looking for. And I was going to provide speed and convenience and they were going to provide the discount. So I struggled with the follow-up. So this is where I kind of had the big issue. And I wrote down about 40 addresses over about three or four weeks. And then I actually drove by the same house twice on accident and somebody was out there renovating it. And I was like, oh, that house looks familiar. I am pretty sure I wrote that down. And sure enough, I had. But I hadn't done anything with my list. So I had this moment where I was like, oh, man, I'm totally missing out on this deal. Somebody recently bought it. And it wasn't me because I hadn't even reached out to the owner yet. So I had that follow-through issue. And then that's when I decided that I needed to make something on my phone that would allow me to look up the property and then send out a piece of mail right there on the spot and then automatically repeat that. So I had a software development background and so that weekend I developed a very basic app just for my own phone that would do that. Hmm. And what does the app do now that that app did not do originally? So the biggest difference now is I had started as a beginner and it was all about me inputting the properties and I realized that investors that are already doing 10 deals a year plus they're buying these lists, but they're spending a lot of money sending mail to those lists because if you can buy a list online, every other investor can have that same list. You guys agree with that? You go to ListSource and your competitors are doing that too. So I realized that as I was doing more deals, you've got to spend a lot more money to do deals that way at scale. So now the app has a lot of tools for actually training people from Craigslist or on your team already and onboarding them and actually getting them to add properties for you. So when I first started to have somebody drive for me, you get to a point where if you've done a few deals, you wanna scale, you've gotta hire somebody else to go do certain tasks. And to hire somebody else, you could hire somebody to drive for like $15 an hour. So I realized when I got to a certain point, I needed to leverage my time and it was worth paying somebody to do a very basic task. Because if you're doing one, two deals a month, your time's already worth a lot more than $15 an hour. So the app gives you a lot of tools to systematize building a team. So user flow or just the linear experience from I download it and then implementing it, how does that experience look? For the team? Yeah, from the team aspect. Yeah, glad you asked. So when I first started, I looked at Craigslist because I thought Uber drivers, Uber is recruiting on Craigslist. So I'm looking for the same type of person. So I'm going to post an ad on Craigslist to make $15 an hour. So I had set up five interviews with people who were interested to drive for me for $15 an hour. And then here's what happened. Four of the interviews never showed up. And then the fifth one did show up. 
and I was very energized about it. But then the next day, she called me back and she said, hey, I'm going to move to Florida with my mom, so I'm not going to be able to do this job. And I was like, what's going on? I thought you guys wanted this job, and nobody's showing up, and they're all flaking out. And I realized that building a team of people that make $15 an hour can be very challenging when you're recruiting from Craigslist. So basically, you can post this ad on Craigslist. You can write it yourself. We've got a template. But you want to actually direct them to be able to jump through the same hoops they're going to have to do for their job before you spend any time scheduling with them or talking to them. So as an example, what I started to realize was if I'm hiring them to add properties before I meet them or train them, I want them to sign up for the app and add 20 properties that day. And I'll pay them that day as well via Venmo. But if somebody does that, that really weeds out a lot of the riffraff and people that don't really want the job seriously or they're not stable enough to follow through on their commitment to meet you for an interview. So the portal is all about, they can go to this page, learn about how you're going to pay them, what they're going to have to do, what their requirements are, like driver's license and insurance, etc. They can self-sign up, and then they go through six training videos that you choose. We've produced them, but you can choose, like, I want high level of distress, low level of distress. You could focus on these areas. So it lets them go through this whole process that's normally a very big pain, and then on your side, the properties kind of flow through to you and you can approve them to have mail sent out and you can also see where this driver is actually driving. So it has a route tracking so you can see, oh, they drove three miles today, it took them 25 minutes. That way they're not like, I drove an hour and then you can see they only drove 20 minutes. So it gives you all that insight to what your team is doing and if you've got more than one driver, it'll prevent them from overlapping because they can see where everyone else has gone. And why not compensate them based on results versus the hourly rate? So when you're first starting out, I might suggest having your mom or a relative that is going to be somebody you know is going to stick and wants to help you out and pay them something when you close a deal. However, if you recruit outside of a very small inner circle, in a lot of areas, there's realtor laws that prevent you from paying when a deal closes because that's too close to how a realtor would act when you're transacting real estate and you need a license to do that. So that's something you need to double check if you're going to pay based on the performance like that. Well, I'm talking about it's not performance of closing, which would be the ultimate alignment of interest. I'm talking right. about performance of X number of leads. Oh, so I think that's a really cool way too. If you do that, you could pay like a dollar per lead and then you could expect to add 15 properties an hour, for example. But what I've found is it makes a lot of sense to us, but for somebody who wants to drive Uber, they much, much, much appreciate having a very steady income that they can predict rather than, oh, I'm just getting a dollar every time I do this activity. It doesn't really feel like a job to them and they won't treat it as such. If you want them to stick around and do this regularly, they're gonna have a lot better chance of sticking if you do the hourly. When you do that though, you still wanna set a goal, an expectation of, hey, I need you to add at least 12 to 15 properties during each one of these hours. Is that the average amount that they So, do? good question. It totally depends on what neighborhood you're looking in. So you could go in a neighborhood and add 70 properties in an hour if literally everything is terrible looking. It just depends on if that's where you personally wanna look. When I'm buying a rental, I would prefer to go to an area that is not totally in bad shape, but one where neighborhood built in the 60s and maybe wasn't updated yet. So you're gonna have every third house is gonna be like rough, but others are pretty well kept 
You know what I'm saying? So now from the real estate investor's perspective, what's yeah. that experience from start to finish in terms of all the different steps that they take? Sure. If you're just starting out, there's a 14-day trial. You can add unlimited properties. You can add your own house, send yourself a postcard from there. And if you want to start adding team members, that's a whole nother module. But if you have those team members, you're going to see when they're self-signing up, like I talked about. You're going to see where they've driven, and you're going to see those properties coming in so that you can actually approve those. None of the drivers like spending your money without you kind of approving, like, yeah, you're at the right kind of properties. And what are the different revenue streams for you as the developer? So the app is a monthly fee. It's $49 a month. And the mail pieces, we've got seven types, and they range from $0.49 cents to $1.50. The $1.50 is actually a piece that's written by hand with a pen that we send all in, on your behalf. So you can choose what mail piece you'd like to send. Any profit sharing on the hourly rates for the drivers? Good question. So we provide the technology, but you would actually hire the drivers directly yourself mm -hmm. through the technology. What's a feature that you all tried in the app? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming there is one, if there's not, that's fine. That you tried in the app and then it's no longer there because it didn't test well for whatever reason. That's a good question. I will say we started with the app being free and then the mail pieces were $2. And it's pretty pricey for a mail piece, but if you're just doing one off, it's like, oh, that'd probably save you money. But we kind of switched the model and lowered the mail cost as much as possible, and people use it a lot better. So that's a major thing that we definitely changed. What's been the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge that I feel really passionate about is that people actually quit too early. When they're first starting out, they might try adding 10 properties, and they'll be like, oh, this didn't work for me. But really, you need to add 200 plus properties. And a story I always like to tell is when you're starting a business, like for me, I started the first version of Deal Machine in 2016, and I actually worked a whole year and a half before it was earning any money for me to pay myself a salary. So when I see a lot of people getting started with something, I feel like they don't have a proper expectation of how much work it'll take. And the payoff's there, but they get discouraged and they move on to something else too quickly. So they're kind of chasing their tail because they're moving on from one thing to the next before they fully understand like, this kind of a numbers game. And I would like to understand it takes 200 plus properties to find that are run down and contact them several times over two or three months before you decide that, oh, this is not for you. Is there a feature on that? No, is there a feature to do follow-up mail campaigns to the same list? Yeah, you can repeat the same thing or you can have it send a different message mm -hmm. the second time. But I think when you're just starting out, like just keep it really simple and just keep repeating the same one. It actually features the picture of the house on it, so it's already gonna stick out compared to any other mail they're receiving from any other investors like that. And you have different options for postcards versus put it in an envelope and then different variety of that. Yeah, Yeah, there's the postcards, the feature of the picture, and people look at that. They're like, oh, they were actually in front of my house. You can tell. And so a lot of times that's why- the county website or the picture that the driver takes? You, the driver takes with the app. So it looks a lot more clear and personal than like a Google Street View image, for example. So what was the question? You answered it. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> for an investor who wants to scale quicker mm -hmm. and does not want to work directly with the drivers, is there a concierge option where someone on your team handles the driver stuff, the investor simply comes to you all and says, hey, I have a budget of X amount, please handle the driver stuff and I want this area 
of distressed properties identified and then nailed to. Yeah, if you're interested in that, it's not on our pricing page, but if you're interested in that, you should ask for it in the chat and we'll do a one-on-one -on -one meeting with you and discover your goals and manage the drivers for you. What markets are you all in? Well, it actually works across the United States. So the 4 million properties that were added, that was across the whole United States. But I live in Indianapolis, but okay. it works everywhere. I assumed it worked everywhere. I also imagine three years into it, and this is my guess, but maybe it's a wrong assumption, that you all have a heavy concentration that's top heavy on certain top 10% markets or something, or three markets way heavily in that four million. Is that accurate or not? Yeah, I would say it just naturally kind of follows where people are heavily investing. So markets like Phoenix and Houston, those are pretty heavy for us, but there's like a whole lot of people doing real estate investing, specifically wholesaling there. And that's the primary person that uses the app. So we kind of follow those trends as well. Got it. You were a software developer before? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. And usually I ask, what skills did you acquire there that applied to what you're doing? Mm -hmm. That's a dumb question in this case, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, were you going to answer? You can answer it. Well, I think a lot of people are interested in developing just an app in general. They're not familiar with the process. Mm -hmm. So I was going to share that developing an app is very similar to actually developing a house. So for like an application, you've got the database, it stores all the members' data, all the users' data. You've got the user interface, which is what you see, and then you've got a layer that connects the two, and that's called an API. So a house, you lay a foundation, and there's like an expert for that. You frame it, and there's like a carpenter for that. And then you put the roof on, and there's an expert for that too. So same is true with if you're ever developing an app, you would need three different developers that had expertise in each of those levels. So I decided to throw that in there because people are typically asking me just Good questions metaphor. about software. Yeah. So on the investing front, your own investing, what have you purchased? So the best story is I bought this $4,000 house and I didn't have the money to do the full renovation. So I put 60,000 on these credit cards. So I got these no interest credit cards and I maxed them out. This is scary. <laughs> and I actually got stuck into this position where I thought as soon as I renovate this house, I'll be able to refinance it out for 70000 or 100000 and I'll be good and pay off those credit cards. But the problem was this house was pretty unique. It was half the square footage of anything else on the block, and it was the nicest house on the block now since I came and fixed it up. So no banks that I could find would give me a loan because there's no comps. But it's rented right now for 1800 a month, and I'm only 70000 into it. So it's like way, way better than like a traditional rental would even be. So Not factoring in the interest rates from the credit cards. Well, I, those were zero. Right. I, the interest hadn't kicked in yet. Yeah, so what I ended up doing was a friend from Chicago had another friend that's like a stock trader or something. He does something like that. And apparently those guys have a lot of money. So he lent me the money to pay off my credit cards. So that is how I handled not paying the high interest on those because that would have been insane. Yeah, and then luckily the business had kind of taken off to where I did have enough cash to pay him back in time. So like, whew, like I, I don't know what I would have done, but it could have been bad. What were the terms? The term was he would just get the house if I didn't pay him back. At 0% interest? I forget. 
I just remember it was four months. Okay. And oh, very I, short term. Yeah, it was supposed to be a bridge loan because I was trying to get that bank financing. Uh -huh. So that was another reason. Before they didn't give me comps, they actually were like, hey, your credit score is pretty bad. And it was because I was utilizing all those credit cards. So the first step I was doing was, all right, I got to pay off these credit cards so I can get a mortgage in the first place. And so that's why I did the bridge loan. Then I found out, oh, they won't, they won't have a comp for me. <laughs> anyway, so I definitely learned a lot on that first deal. But it's still like performing well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't get a loan on it. <laughs> uh, how'd you find the $4,000 house? So it had a tarp on the roof. And I took a picture of it and added it to the deal machine app. And I actually got a call from him on the seventh postcard. So it was like five to seven months later. And he called me. It was the first deal I'd ever done this way, and it was so easy because he was just like, hey, I got this postcard thing and I need to sell my house. And I was like, okay, do you want to meet up? And he was like, yes. I came over at that night, and so I was like, hey, I'm going to take a bunch of pictures and I'll give you an offer two days later, mainly because I didn't know what to offer. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to offer him $10,000, and then I don't know why. I did some numbers, and I was like, Every other house around here is much larger, and since yours is so much smaller, dollar per square foot, I need to offer $4,700. So I showed him that math, and then he accepted it a day later. Hmm. And so it was actually a really easy transaction, especially since I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you said that was the seventh postcard that he received in approximately five to seven months. Right. So we'll call it seven months. Mm -hmm. Is that what you all have found? One follow-up per month is the most effective or is it a different frequency than that? We recommend doing every 21 days actually. So it's a little bit sooner than every month. And we want to make sure everyone is following up at least three times. So we just want people to get out of the mindset of, oh, I sent one and they didn't call me back. And as this example showed me, it was all about timing for him because his house has been in bad shape for years. That was obvious. So he didn't need to sell it until a life event happened where he then needed to sell it. And for him, he had had surgery and he couldn't mow his grass anymore. In his words, like couldn't keep up with the maintenance of the property. So he didn't have high standards for that, but he couldn't do anything now. So he was moving out to an assisted living place where they were going to take close care of him. So that's when he decided he needed to sell it. So it's a lot about timing. It's like a timing and numbers game as well as identifying the right distressed house. And 21 days, you said. Mm -hmm. Why not 20? Why not 50? Why not 12? How did that number come about? At the time, it wasn't super scientific because I was just reading articles about just sales follow-ups in general. And remember, I had that experience of within three to four weeks not sending a postcard and then somebody buying it in that period. So I was like, I need to strike the right balance of being pretty timely so that I'm always kind of there. But I want to watch my budget too, so I'm not going to send it every two weeks. But now we kind of say like if you do 22 days, it'll arrive on like a different day every time, oh. a different day of the week. I don't really know if that's important. It's just kind of like a nerdy thing. Yeah. yeah. Let's say it's the seven cycles of 21 days. Yeah. Within each cycle, does the postcard change at all, or is it the same postcard every time? I recommend sending the same one, and the default that we send, it just says, is this your property? There's a photo of the property, and it says, if you're interested in selling, I can close quickly and with cash, 
please give me a call or text. Have a great day. So it's simple enough that it just works. There's no magic postcard out there. And if you've got a pretty decent message, I think it's okay to send the same one. Those guys who are doing 10 deals a year plus, they get a little bit more sophisticated sometimes when they've mapped out, this is the sequence that we want to use. So you do have that option as well to switch it up. What's the deal you lost money on? Let's see. Luckily, there's not been a huge mistake. I will say I offered on a property that I was planning on buying and renovating myself, and it was the second one, so after this $4,000 one. And I actually shopped it around to some of the other wholesalers that I knew actually take down properties, and they were all 10000 below what I had it locked up as. So in order to be safe myself, I was just like, I need to lower this down because the cigarette smoke damage in the wall is actually going to require us to replace that drywall to get rid of the smell. So that's going to cost an additional $10,000. And that seller did actually agree to, let's get this deal done. You know, I still want to do the deal. I just have to do it a little bit lower. So obviously you don't want to purposefully lock up a property that you know you can't honor that purchase price. But when it's a real scenario like it was for me, that I did a little bit more inspection and realized, hey, this is gonna cost more than I thought to fix, then you, I think it's perfectly fine to go renegotiate with that seller. So we didn't lose money on it because we had gotten that lower price. Last question that we'll open it up to everyone, best real estate investing advice ever. I think that whatever you choose, that you should be consistent. You don't need to blindly do that thing forever but I think you should talk to an expert who's had a lot of success doing that thing. And if it's driving for dollars or if it is doing cold calling from the absentee owner list, I would encourage you to find somebody who's had the success that you want in that area and then get an idea for how many calls do I actually have to make. And then be really, really consistent even above and beyond that a bit because you might be newer at it. So you're gonna have a little bit more work to put in as you're kind of figuring things out. But I would just say the best ever advice is whatever you choose, be consistent and have the right expectations. Amen. All right, questions? So for all the leads that the drivers are gathering that customers don't act on, what do you do with those? Well, I personally don't do anything. We don't do anything. So could you monetize those or could those be bought by other customers? Great question. We've just totally stayed away from doing anything quite like that, mainly because we just like want everybody to be super clear that their leads that they're putting in the system are totally theirs, and nobody else is looking at those in any way. But it would be really interesting if somebody decided that they wanted to sell those leads to somebody else, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a $4 million or $4 million account, and uh, mm -hmm. it just sounded like a huge... It's a huge point. number, and I'll tell you what, most people aren't doing the follow-ups they should be. So that's like the differentiator between somebody who's successful and not. So great question. We just haven't explored that yet. Yes. Doing all this work and you follow up on really good question. We provide the technology for you to input the leads and have the team inputting leads and then actually sending out marketing. So we don't have anything official to offer as far as like a call script or whatnot. 
there's a lot more to it than what we currently provide. So it's a good thing to point out. Do you have financial calculators in there at all? We don't. There's other apps that you could use for that, but Deal Machine is really, really focused on the scaling a driving team for your business. Literally and figuratively. Do you have one? So, Brandon Turner talks about like the deal flow and look at 100 properties, maybe 10, the numbers look okay. If you make an offer on those 10, maybe one of them has out or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, with your app, do you know when the deal goes through? And if you do know that, what's the ball look like? Is it like 500 properties with one deal? Or do you know that? Great question. So, from all the success stories that we hear about, I mean, there's tons that we just don't hear about that we always give the advice that it takes at least 200 rundown properties and you mail three times each. And we always say at least. And a lot of people will have random deals that happen before that point. And there's certainly stuff that happens after that. But that's kind of what we offer to really help you at least have an expectation of, I need to do this much work at least in order to try this out to get a deal. What are those numbers based on? They're based on all the anecdotal testimonials and reviews that we've done over the last couple of years from all these investors that are using our platform. So it's the ones we hear about that we've kind of just boiled that down to like a easily rememberable number of like what you should try to be hitting. Cool. Great presentation, by the way. That's really informative. As Thank far you. as like capturing the data, that's always kind of interesting to me because I come from software background too. Cool. It was really interesting. But is that an opportunity for you guys to capture some metrics? So for example, if I close a deal and let's say mm -hmm. I had 200 properties I've input in this particular app mm -hmm. and I were to signify to you guys that yes, this is the, the transaction that I close, I'm assuming that would probably be helpful to you guys as well, right? Yeah, so actually there is a place where you can mark the deal as like a deal that you actually closed. Okay. And then there's a screen that's like, what was your exit strategy? Oh, nice. And you can put in what your profit was. And that's really helpful to you too because We'll show you on the analytics graph. How many dollars did you spend on Deal Machine or doing this marketing method versus what's your profit oh, been? Sure. So it's like really powerful to see that graph for the investor side. <coughs> that's the closest thing to what you're suggesting that we've got. It's good to see those results. If that's not there, like track it's not where dollars are performing. Right. Know, your efforts are performing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, this is very cool stuff. This obviously works for residential, but I do apartments, so do you think has anyone used it for apartment property or commercial? Yeah, it actually works with anything that has an address. So if a building is owned by an entity or a person, it's gonna actually work the same way it would for a single family home. So you could most definitely use that. My question is about campaigns. I know you talk about just keeping it consistent throughout. Are you able to divide certain subdivisions of the properties? Like say, this one's a much nicer subdivision. I want to split this kind of campaign with this type of mailer for this subdivision. Oh yeah. And have a different one where it's really different setup, mailing and all that stuff. Yes, actually what we have, they're called tags. So you could like tag all these properties as a certain campaign or a certain area. And then that's how you could actually filter out the types of deals. So did you also provide other information like email addresses or telephone numbers at all? There's an instant skip tracing in the app that I didn't mention. It's a separate button. Instead of sending a mailer, you could get their phone number, email, and a list of other addresses where they've registered their utilities. Is that kind of an add-on cost? Or? It is, just like sending a piece of postcard is, because it's just a cost for us to be able to provide that per lookup for you. Does the postcard have your return address on it? It does. It has your return address. That's right. What do you do if it gets returned? Yep, skip tracing column. That's what the best thing to do. Doing that skip trace. So here's something I didn't realize. 
I just joined this mastermind called Collective Genius, and a lot of people there are doing 50 deals per year plus, and that looks like probably 20,000 to 40,000 a month on marketing spent for those guys. So I sat down with this guy named Martin, and he was telling me if he gets a postcard returned, he's doing so many deals, he doesn't take the extra time to dig deeper. So all these really big real estate investors in your city, they're doing too much scale in order to properly research returned mail. So if you're not at that level, you can compete with the really big investors by taking those opportunities, such as return mail, and actually using your time to investigate that a little bit further because they're not doing that because they're so busy at doing things at scale. You know what I mean? Does that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the return mail is gold. I have two questions, kind of cheap. Okay. First quick question, I am a realtor. Okay. And so whenever I solicit someone to buy their property, I have to disclose that I'm a realtor. Okay. Do your mailers take that into account? We actually created a disclosure section that's smaller print and at the bottom that you can put in wherever you want. So you could put, I'm a realtor number XYZ, if that's something that you've got to do. Okay, awesome. Let's say I'm an amateur, I'm new to real estate, I want to find a deal. I'm willing to spend about one to $200 a month on marketing and I have some time that I can go looking, driving for dollars. Okay. How do you recommend that I spend my time and my 100 to $200 a month? Give me some specifics. Man, I think you need to budget $700 total to get a deal at a minimum. So if your budget's like 200 bucks a month, I would drive yourself and I would try to add 200 properties as soon as possible and repeat those mailers over the course of two to three months. And that would cost you about one to $200 a month. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. So you could do it. In your app, let's say you have 200 properties in there. Yeah. Skip tracing, get some emails, that kind of thing. Does it have the ability to export all that information? Yes, sir. Yep, our philosophy is you went out there and got those leads. So any piece of data like that that's in the system is yours. So you can definitely export that. We've got several different options for doing that, like different formats. So you can do whatever you want with it. If you've got an existing CRM, you can actually connect it to Deal Machine as well so that when you or your team inputs a property, that it automatically forwards to your CRM. And then you might have like a follow-up sequence built in there already, for example. Which CRMs does it interface to? We actually have a Zapier integration, and if you don't know what that is, it, it connects like a thousand plus apps online. So if you guys use Podio, real popular one, definitely has a Zapier integration too. There's just too many CRMs in name, but that's our approach right now is we provide the connection to Zapier and that thing can send it all over the place. We'll do three more questions. What is your initial contact first time to a potential house people, I say. Yep. Because you're asking them, you're kind of putting their house down because they want you to contest them. Yeah. I actually don't say anything negative at all. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got the picture. So. <laughs> I understand, but yeah. I'm a realtor also. Right. You can take that it, So picture? The picture is just factual about what their house looks like. And all I'm saying is, is this your property? If you want to sell it, please call me. 
I can close quickly with cash. So it's all positive focus, and then the picture is factual about what it looks like. So if they're out of state, they might not know what their house looks like. They might not know it's in such bad condition. So it could be an eye-opener for them to see that photo. And if they live there, again, you're not saying your house is ugly. You're not saying I'm calling you because your house looks really bad. You're just saying, I really like your house. This Here it is. I want to buy it. I buy houses in yeah. this area. <laughs> right, yeah. Or I buy houses in this area. Great. And these, they can customize their message, right? Yeah, you can customize it. We've got the default in there that works pretty well, but you can definitely customize it yourself if you want to say something unique. Two more. How accurate is the data, the API, because the auditor's website, you know, yeah. it's kind of like junk in, junk out. Yeah, we get the data from the county, so it's going to be as accurate as your auditor is. And so in Indianapolis, like when I bought a house, it takes up to like a month and a half for that to update sometimes. So I would expect the same when you're using the Deal Machine app. That you, might be a little bit delayed like that. So I've worked at a customer success at a software company. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that there might be a pricing option to where you could say verified by an actual human? Mm. unlike bots, and then you can sell that data set for like a, a higher price because it's not that it's super inaccurate, but it's verified first. Mm -hmm. You know, someone went and they either drove to the house or they sent a mailer first. It seems like a good feature. To That's have. interesting. Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. We don't offer that currently, but I'm taking a note. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. So do you have a, an idea percentage-wise in your app when it's doing the research and follow-up of how many are primary residence abandonment versus secondarily owned? Yeah. Is there an alternative to find those? Okay. So let me back up and say, when you say primary residence abandonment, do you mean like you lived in Florida, there's a hurricane that destroyed your house, and then you like fled? But it's still registered and never occupied. Is that what you mean? Not exactly. Like you go buy something, like I went buy something the other the other day. The papers are on the windows. Okay, great. So not necessarily an out of state owner there. Okay. Right. So when you say papers, you mean like notices? Notices like they're getting. I guess my example would be the mailer would go to that residence because that's within the auditor site versus okay, it's kind of run down. It's mm -hmm. it maybe going into foreclosure. Mm -hmm. So I think the real important thing to understand is if it is an absentee owner, the mail piece is going to go to where the owner lives, not the house. Okay. And if it's registered as owner-occupied, but it's totally vacant, so where's the owner? Then that's when I would use the skip tracing in order to call them, email them, and then get a list of other addresses where they've registered their utilities. Because if they moved into an apartment, they've hooked up utilities there, and that'll show there. So you can send mail to that address too in that case. And then I will tag on a personal just note. I know that a lot of people talk about the, the absentee owners are the best leads, but when you're looking for distressed properties, the owner-occupied ones are just as good of leads that a lot of people ignore. And the reason is if their house, like in my case, if they have a house that's in bad shape, at some point they're probably going to need to sell that and they're not going to want to put the money in to fix it. So don't ignore the owner-occupied ones either. Dave, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Really it's a pleasure to be it. here. Yep.
The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, bec20.com.